Welcome to AZPM News Daily, a recap of all the day's news from Arizona Public Media. I'm Steve Jess. On this edition, Tucson gets ready to shelter the homeless during cold winter nights. A migrant surge shuts down one Arizona border crossing and overloads another. And we'll remember Sandra Day O'Connor. Near freezing overnight temperatures expected this weekend have prompted the city of Tucson to open its Operation Deep Freeze shelter until further notice. The shelter opens up a limited number of overflow beds to people in Tucson who are experiencing homelessness when winter weather poses a health risk. Anyone needing shelter can go to the Salvation Army Hospitality House on Main Avenue, but be sure to get there early. The check-in time is between 2 and 4 every afternoon on any day that it's open. Operation Deep Freeze goes into effect when weather predictions call for overnight temperatures of 40 degrees or lower with rain, 35 or lower without rain, or when wind chill poses a health hazard. The Humane Society of Southern Arizona says the findings of its independent investigation into the transfer of more than 300 small pets confirms the animals were likely turned into animal feed. Danielle Kamara has more. Former Humane Society COO Christian Gonzalez orchestrated the transfer of 323 guinea pigs, rats, hamsters, and more in August to Colton Jones, a Maricopa County man who runs an unaccredited reptile business. Independent investigator Terry Flores says that while Jones denies the animals were turned into feed, there's evidence to the contrary. While no definitive evidence was found that Gonzalez or HSSA knew Colton Jones intended to freeze the small animals for sale at a reptile show, the text message discovered by KVOA investigative reporter Chorus Nylander creates a reasonable belief Jones may have used some of the animals for those purposes. Flores' report found the incident was a result of a failure of leadership, a lack of communication, ignoring policies, a push to just get things done, and employees that feared for their jobs if intake numbers didn't increase. Former Tucson Humane Society CEO Steve Farley was fired and Gonzalez resigned over the incident. I'm Danielle Kamara, AZPM News. Border officials on Monday will be temporarily closing the Lukeville port of entry to pedestrian and vehicle traffic. They say the move is necessary to redirect personnel to assist the Border Patrol with a surge of migrants at the border in the Lukeville, Ajo, and Sassabee areas. Travelers will need to use the ports of entry in either Nogales or San Luis for both north and southbound travel. Ports in Nogales have already experienced longer wait times recently due to officers being reassigned to help process migrants. Nearly a million travelers used the Lukeville port last year. Many of those were Arizonans traveling to Rocky Point and the Sea of Cortez. The port is also ongoing an expansion, which includes a northbound lane to expedite entry into the U.S. primarily for tourists from Mexico, which the Arizona Office of Tourism says is considered a critical component for economic benefits. The new legislative session is set to begin in Phoenix in January, and among the issues lawmakers will tackle is criminal justice reform. 
Pima County Attorney Laura Conover believes a proactive approach needs to be taken with issues like cash bail and growing jail populations. It's very clear to me that our focus should remain exclusively on reducing that population, fixing our initial appearance system, uh, doubling and tripling down on making the jail the last door, not the first door. Earlier this year, Governor Katie Hobbs ordered an independent prison oversight commission to re-examine topics such as health care in Arizona prisons. Its preliminary recommendations are expected soon. You can hear more about criminal justice reform on this week's edition of The Buzz, available on our website, news.azpm.org. A Tucson man has been sentenced to six years in prison for selling fentanyl to a 16-year-old girl who then overdosed and died. In the summer of 2019, 29-year-old Michael Fox sold three fentanyl pills to the Glendale teen who was found not breathing within the hour. She was later pronounced dead from cardiac arrest related to a fentanyl drug overdose. U.S. Attorney Gary Restaino said in a statement this was the first time his office has held a lengthy evidentiary hearing with scientific testimony on fentanyl as part of sentencing a dealer in a poisoning death. This Sunday is the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Hannah Cree has more on Tucson's second annual Disability Pride Day, commemorating the Day of Awareness and Celebration. Visitors can expect an entertainment lineup featuring artists with disabilities, an adaptive sport activity area, and over 60 vendors specializing in disability resources. City Councilmember Paul Cunningham says he hopes the event will help people feel proud of their disabilities. For so long, there was somewhat of a stigma discussing people with disabilities, having people discuss their disability. It shouldn't be there. Those barriers should be down. I want people to be proud. I want people to know that anything is possible. I want people to feel celebrated. The event was so successful in Ward 2 last year that they've expanded and moved into the Tucson Convention Center for this year. Cunningham says they're expecting as many as 3,000 people on Sunday. Disability Pride Day is open to the public on Sunday from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. I'm Hannah Curry, AZPM News. The country's first female Supreme Court justice, Arizona native Sandra Day O'Connor, has died. She was 93. O'Connor was a trailblazer. She broke the ultimate glass ceiling when in 1981 she was nominated to the highest court in the land. But as Kathy Ritchie of KJZZ reports, O'Connor was breaking barriers long before she took her seat on the bench nearly 40 years ago. Sandra Day O'Connor was a woman shaped by her environment. Born in 1930 to Harry and Ada May Day, O'Connor grew up on her family's ranch, the Lazy Bee. It's on the Arizona-New Mexico border. That's O'Connor in a 2002 C-SPAN interview with Brian Lamb. The ranch was half in each state, um, along the Gila River, to the south side of the Gila River, and to the top of the Pelencia mountain range. Um, it's a high desert area. And wild. In her autobiography, Lazy Bee, which she wrote with her brother Alan Day, she said every living thing in the desert has some kind of protective mechanism or characteristic to survive. Thorns, teeth, horns, poison, or perhaps just being too tough to kill and eat. Despite the challenges, O'Connor wrote that she developed a love for the way of life on the ranch, which required one to be hardy, resourceful, and independent, characteristics that would serve her well later in life. But her world was also filled with love and encouragement. She was especially close to her father, nicknamed D.A. He liked 
people regardless of background or wealth or status, high or low, if they were interesting people to talk to, he liked to talk to them. That's O'Connor talking to Lamb again. And I think I share some of that, actually. He wanted to go to Stanford and never had a chance. And probably that's why that was the only university I wanted to go to. Which she did in 1946. O'Connor was only 16 when she arrived there. The future jurist wrote that she felt poorly prepared compared to the other freshmen she met. What were you like when you were 16? Ignorant and naive. About what? <laughs> well, about what um, life for a woman lawyer might be like, for one thing. It never occurred to me that there weren't women lawyers out there and that it might be hard to get a job as one. And it came as a shock. O'Connor graduated near the top of her class at Stanford Law School, yet... Not a single California law firm is willing to even interview her for a job as a lawyer. Evan Thomas is a former Newsweek editor and author of O'Connor's biography, First. He talked to KJZZ in 2019 about the realities facing this young woman. It was, however, a temporary setback. O'Connor wrote that she was always encouraged by her father to accomplish whatever she undertook in a competent and professional manner. And so she eventually found work though it was for no pay. In 1952, she married her sweetheart, John O'Connor. The couple moved to Phoenix, where they welcomed three boys. Again, O'Connor struggled to get work, so she started her own practice. O'Connor eventually took time off to care for her boys. She went back to work in 1965 as a state's assistant attorney general. It was a juggling act, and O'Connor faced many of the same challenges working mothers face today. Here she is talking to Jan Smith from the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery in 2013. It's hard work. There's a lot to do. And if you're trying to do a paid job in addition to taking care of family, it's extremely challenging. We didn't have the means to have household help in those days. In 1969, she was appointed to a vacant Arizona State Senate seat. She would go on to win that seat the following year. And she was in the state legislature. She was the majority, first ever woman majority leader of a state Senate here in Arizona. That's Evan Thomas again. O'Connor was breaking through the proverbial glass ceiling, but, he says, she was also very cautious in her approach. This is the day of bra burners, of, of women's lib and bra burners. She said, I come to you with my wedding ring and my bra. Thomas says that was her way of saying, I am a traditional woman. She wasn't a traditional woman. <laughs> she broke more glass ceilings than anybody in history. Yeah. But she did it carefully and she did it politely and she did it in ways that were not threatening to men. In the summer of 1981, O'Connor wrote in Lazy Bee that her life changed dramatically. But upon completion of all the necessary checks by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, I will send to the Senate the nomination of Judge Sandra Day O'Connor of Arizona Court of Appeals for confirmation as an associate justice of the United States Supreme Court. President Ronald Reagan nominated O'Connor to fill the seat of retiring Justice Potter Stewart. She was unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate. While O'Connor was the first woman to have a seat on the bench, she did not always feel like she had a seat at the table. Here's Evan Thomas again. In fact, in her very first oral argument, she knows everybody's watching. You know, the court's sitting up there and the press is all watching. Half an hour goes by. She starts to ask her first question and the idiot lawyer talks over her. Uh, so she writes in her diary, you know, I felt put down. Mm -hmm. But she was not the kind of person who stayed put down for long. 
O'Connor would serve on the court until her retirement in 2006. In 2009, she launched iCivics, a nonprofit organization aimed at teaching kids in middle and high school the importance of civics using video games. Here's O'Connor introducing iCivics to teachers in 2011. And even a retired cowgirl like me knows that we need to use these tools to educate if we're going to inspire and interest today's young people to become active and knowledgeable civic leaders. iCivics was O'Connor's passion, but in 2018, she announced that she had been diagnosed with the beginning stages of dementia and would be stepping down from public life. She shared the news with the American public in a letter. O'Connor wrote, We must reach all our youth, and we need to find ways to get people, young and old, more involved in their communities and in their government. As my three sons are tired of hearing me say, it's not enough to understand. You've got to do something. Kathy Ritchie, Phoenix. A Supreme Court news release says Sandra Day O'Connor died in Phoenix of complications related to advanced dementia and a respiratory illness. And that should catch you up on everything we've covered today at Arizona Public Media. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the AZPM News Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steve Jess, and we'll be back after the weekend.